Hi, Raphael Bender here, founder of Breathe Education, and you're listening to the Pilates Elephants podcast with me and my co-host, Chloe Bunter. There are many things that are awesome about the Pilates industry. However, many of the practices we take for granted are out of date or just plain pseudoscientific. These are the elephants in the room in Pilates, and we're here to talk about them openly and honestly, and with a fair few F-bombs thrown in. This show is about debunking the myths and giving you science-based tools to become a better, happier, and more fearless teacher. If you've been enjoying the show and you want to give back, give us a five-star rating and write us a glowing review on Apple Podcast app. That'll help other instructors find the show and let us know we're making a difference. In today's episode, we're going to address the question of, do you need to be perfect at all the moves before you can teach them? Should we do a spoiler alert? Spoiler alert. Spo- <laughs> spoiler alert. No, no. you don't. <laughs> but we'd like you to but listen. Come on, listen in anyway. <laughs> it's a good we, combo. It's a fun combo. Hey, Chloe. Hey, Raph. How are you going? Yeah, I'm awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Does my, ma- my face make you laugh? <laughs> well, it makes me smile. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. And I also knew you would be awesome. Yeah. Uh, I'm awesome as well. Oh, We've, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, I think it, I guess, and it's funny, I always never know whether we put like time stamps on where we are at the moment because you could be watching this listening watching watching listening mm. at any point but we're just we're just after Easter here in a here in Australia mm. and so yeah I had five days off which what do you do when you have five days off? Re- most of that was just enjoying pottering around the home actually and you know doing things like weeding and sweeping the backyard and hanging out with my kitten but I also had an amazing time catching up with my Sunday reformer crew plus shaman because always plus shaman um and uh yeah and then family party yesterday so it was good what about you uh I I got a new mountain bike for my birthday a couple of weeks back from the, the team at breathe education and it's a super freaking awesome mountain bike and um I'm not a super awesome mountain bike rider but um i've got some little mini hills near where i live does this this mean you're going to get into like if we're mountain biking does that include some like jumps and things like that oh no i'm not really interested in that but i there's like where i live uh it's really close to the yarra river which is the main river that bisects melbourne and you can ride from my house like it's literally like one minute or less and you're in bush basically like forest yeah Um, wow and, you know, no, you can't see any houses, any power lines, any traffic, anything like that. And it's just like there's river and trees and grass and, and it mostly gravel and dirt trails. And you can just ride for like, you know, 20 miles in either direction before you hit a road. Wow. Um, so it's pretty awesome. Are there many people out when you do that? Uh, if I get, if you go in the middle of the day, there are a few, but I'd like to go like basically as soon as it's light. And yeah, right. so it's just me and the kangaroos pretty much. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, so you don't have to dodge kangaroos? No, they 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 dodge me. What but, a, what an Aussie setting for yeah. our listeners overseas. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm visualising you now. The sun's coming up. You're, you're on your mountain bike and you're like dodging kangaroos. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. That's great. That's beautiful. Oh, um, yeah. that's so, so nice. I think of the Breathe team as I ride because I've got this awesome bike. We got it for your birthday. Yeah. Yay. That's so great. Yeah. Awesome. What are we going to talk about today? We're going to talk about uh, do you have to be perfect at all the moves to be a great Pilates teacher? Oh, I love this one. Mm. And look, uh, what's spoiler alert, what's the acronym? TLDR. TLDR. <laughs> I'll remember it one day. Uh, yeah, no, you don't. 
Um, and, and if you did, but we will go into some more details. If you did, my career would have been mm. over, guys, like nine years ago. So, you know, cat's out of the bag. <laughs> I'm still here. But we're going to have some fun talking about why you don't. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So before we um, get into that, shall we do a little uh, Chloe's DMs? Mm, hold on. I'm sorry, you just caught me, caught me, caught me off guard there. Say, say that again. <laughs> we just, we'll retake that. Okay, okay. Yeah, go. Chloe's DMs. Okay. <laughs> my my favourite segment of the week, let's be honest. Um, okay, so this is this is a great one. Uh, and Raph, I don't think you've seen this. I think this is just a, in my, my DMs. I, this is awesome. Um, okay, so this is from the lovely Erica. Uh, hi, Chloe. I'm a Breathe grad from October 2020 uh, and an Elephants fan since day one. Mm. Shout out, Erica. Shout out, Erica. We love that. Um, I've got a question for you. Re-sideline leg lifts on the mat. I love a bit of sideline leg lifts on the mat. In fact, there's going to be some of that in my mat masterclass tonight. Um, Anyway, I diverge back to the question. I love this exercise and love to teach it to my clients to get them to try and lift their leg all the way up to the ceiling and lower it back down so it's hovering um, off the other leg. I'm on holidays at the moment, have been to a mat class where the teacher taught this move, but told us all to only lift the leg as high as the hip and then lower it. It's not nearly as much fun. Her reasoning was to prevent hyperextension in the hip. Uh. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so listeners. That was a verbal we've, eye roll. We've, we've, I think we've mentioned that Raf and I are now recording these sat across from each other. <laughs> and that's, that was kind of like, if, both of our faces then were uh, a little bit, yeah, like I think our eyes literally rolled back in our head. Um, it's not nearly as much fun. Her reasoning was to prevent hyperextension in the hip. I don't think this sounds like it has any merit to it. When I do a full expression of the move, I feel much more burn than any than only lifting it a foot. Do you and Raf have any insights? Thank you so much. Yeah, that is. <clears throat> what, Raf? BS. Total, total bullshit. <laughs> And, and, and we've spoken about, um, oh, man, it's such a freaking buzzword in the Pilates industry. Hyper ex- don't hyperextend this. Yeah. Don't hyperextend that. Stabilise this. Stabilise that. So, don't so dump into your lower back. What is, don't straighten what is hyper your extension? legs. What is hyperextension in the hip joint there, Chloe? How can you tell if you're hyperextending your hip joint? I would say it, in abduction. Which exactly. is what you're doing there, like <laughs> side leg leg series is abduction. I'm, like, right? are we talking? So, are we talking a dislocate? Like, is well, that hyper- what we're talking? Just- hyperextension is extension beyond the usual range of motion, right? That's yeah, a, that's a textbook definition of yeah. hyperextension. They're in side-lying leg series, you're not extending at all. There's no extension. You're probably in neutral or slight flexion most <laughs> of the time. So, like- so there's there's no freaking hyperextend, dude. There's it's not a thing. Like, so so the extension is when you are taking your leg behind behind the body behind, right? Not so a thing. not into abduction. Abduction is when you're taking the leg out to the side. Mm, that's abduction. Yeah. So not the same thing. Anyway. And, and, Apart right, so, from it not being the same thing, and we know that some like to me, it sounds like potentially if I'm giving some props, like not props, um, what's the word I'm looking for? If I'm giving some compassion, compassion, compassion to that instructor saying those words, I would say this might be a parrot cue. Yeah, She's this is one of those be- ones you hear someone this, else this, yelling yeah, it out, this so is you a, yell it out. This is a parrot cue. You've heard it before. Uh, pieces of eight. Pieces of eight. <laughs> 
Okay. So you've heard it before and you're, you know, you're concerned maybe that you are going to court. Because if we're saying hyperextend, well, there's some sort of fear around that, that mm. we are going to inadvertently or, or overtly injure our clients, right? Otherwise, why would you even be putting something in like that? So I don't want to like, I want to be mindful of not writing off this other instructor because maybe you only know what you know, right? So she'd be doing the best by her clients in her own, yeah. do you know what I mean? So uh, it is totally inaccurate. Biomechanically, it's totally inaccurate. Yeah. But even as a necessary cue, it's totally, like it's just yeah. inaccurate. Yeah, and I, th- I think you're 100, well, you're 100% right that, you know, we should we should talk about that it's a really silly idea. You know, mm. it's an incoherent idea because it's talking about hyperextension and confusing with abduction for a start. Um, but that's not to cast aspersions on the person that, that espoused that. You know, like I'm sure that person, like you say, is doing the best they can with what they've got and have all the best intentions in the world. And, you know, once you know better, you do better. But I think, you know, that that really kind of, this really kind of epitomizes the sort of thing that we're trying to uh, change in this industry is people spreading, you know, fear-based nonsensical information that just doesn't even make sense in terms of common sense, you know, let alone it's not scientific in any way. And and people just hear something that sounds like fearful and then repeat it and just spread the spread the the wrong wrong headed information, you know. Correct. And then that breeds fear of movement in your clients. Um you know, and so right, hyper, we'd want to all right, but let's think about it even a little bit more. We want to avoid, you know, quote hyperextension of the hip, which is taking the leg behind the body. That's extension of the hip, right? Mm-hmm. So does that mean okay, we shouldn't do front splits on the reform? Thinking, what about yeah. lunges? Mm. What um, okay, so are they off as well? Because if it's bad to hyperextend the hip, we should avoid those positions that hyperextend the hip, right? Which is when the legs behind the body more than normal. So that's those exercises. What about, say, um, bird dog, like donkey kicks when you're on all fours? What about uh, shoulder bridge where you lift your hips up as high as you can? The hips in hyperextension there. Yeah. That's, what about something like uh, high bridge on the reformer? Hips are in hyperextension. Both hips are in hyperextension in that position. Shit. Just everyone, <laughs> wrap yourselves in cotton wool. Stop moving. Walk around like tin men. It's just, yeah, it's a, it's a nonsensical cue. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. It's also inaccurate. I don't want to, though, shame that instructor no. uh, because I have, I, I fully believe that that instructor is thinking they're doing the best thing by their clients. They're not, but they, they're coming yeah. from, I'm sure they're coming from a good place. 100%. Um, so hopefully they get the chance to continue upskilling, continue Learning, continue. I guess, like maybe, maybe send them some episodes of Pilates Elephants. Yeah, I guess, like what I, you know, what I would hope that people would start to do, um, you know, because we just got through saying like, well, when you know better, you, you do yeah. better, and whatever. But I, I guess, like what I would hope that people would start to do, and, that, and this is the change that we're trying to promote in the industry, is that when people are, you know, hear that stuff. So maybe that instructor that said that, maybe they learned that in their training course, right? Yeah. Or maybe they heard it from uh, someone that they respect in the industry or whatever. Um, but when when they when people hear stuff, I would hope that we could move towards a place where people kind of 
and, and they don't understand it, right? So this person plainly didn't understand it because if they did understand it, they wouldn't have said abduction is hyperextension, right? So when you when you hear something you don't understand, you know, instead of thinking like, oh, I must be dumb, I don't understand it, or, or oh, you know, it's not my place to question that or whatever, whatever people think, right? Just kind of sitting there scratching your head for a minute and going, all right, so hyperextension, I'm, I'm not actually clear on what hyperextension is, right? Because obviously this person's not clear on what hyperextension is because they're confusing it with abduction, right? So someone yelled out that cue or they're trying to tell them that and, and, and they're sitting there probably thinking like, gee, I'm not quite clear on what we're talking about here, but it sounds like something I want to avoid. So, you know, I better just yell out that same cue. But if instead we could move to a place where someone tells, you know, a classroom full of people, okay, don't hyperextend your hip in sideline leg series, right? And I'm sitting at the back there thinking like, I'm not really sure what we're talking about here. This doesn't make sense to me, right? Just put up your hand and go, I'm sorry, I'm a bit thick here, but could you please explain this? It doesn't make sense to me what you just said, you know? And, and we could just open up that dialogue to to have a conversation where we don't understand something. It doesn't make sense, right? And it's like, okay, so, you know, what is hyperextension and how can I tell if I'm hyperextending? Because if we want to avoid doing that, I want to know, like, what other moves should I yeah, avoid, right? I don't think you have to say I'm a bit thick. Just say, hey, I'd like some clarity on could you could you extrapolate on what what, hyper, what hyperextension means to you or, or what, you know? Yeah. And, and, and the secondly – well, all right. Well, if hyperextension is bad, can you explain to me why? What's bad about it? Yeah. You know, like the like how hyperextending could cause a problem. Mm. What's the mechanism by which that could? But occur? when we find, as another instructor, when we find ourselves in a group class, that is not the place mm-hmm. in that moment. So what Raf's talking about there is in a training, training situation, course, yeah. not when you've gone to another instructor's no, 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 class. No, 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 That's no. really disrespectful. Yeah. If you've got any questions for them. You hold tight until the yeah. end of the class yeah. and you have the you ask the questions, you know, yeah. one-on-one, mm. which I fully encourage as well. Mm. Radical um, candor. Yeah, so I, I absolutely encourage that. But, yes, please don't do it in the middle of their class. <laughs> it's a good way to choke, a, choke, an, yeah. <laughs> choke an instructor. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, we just do it respectfully. Um, but, yes, bottom line is it ain't a thing. Total BS. Um, keep getting those getting your clients, Erica, doing those big old side kicks to the side, mm. go for gold. Mm. Kick up to the ceiling. Kick yeah. up to the ceiling. Yeah. Mm. Cool. Okay. Before we move on, let's take a little break. Hey, Raph here. If you're out there in the world thinking, gee, I'm pretty awesome Pilates instructor and everyone's telling you you're awesome, but then sometimes a client asks you a question and you think, fuck, I feel like an idiot now because I think, feel like I should know the answer to that, but I don't know the answer to that. So I'm just going to smile and say, why don't you do footwork instead? And um, sometimes you feel like you're faking it and you can't really understand what's going on inside people's bodies. Well, come and do a Q&A with me every week. We do a live one and it's called Stop Faking It and Really Know Your Stuff. And it really could should be called Stop Faking It Really Know Your Shit. But um, it's called Stop Faking It Really Know Your Stuff. So that's where you come and ask me questions about anything related to anatomy, biomechanics, why does my shoulder hurt in this exercise, what's this muscle for, anything, whatever. Your client's got this weird medical condition, what is it? You know, whatever questions you've got, come and ask me. Yeah, so um, do you have to be perfect at all the moves to be a great teacher? That, oh, absolutely, Raph. That's probably, absolutely. probably one of the most <laughs> common questions we get asked. Being very sarcastic listeners. By people who are think aspiring instructors and yeah I'm, I'm not sure to what extent that goes away for people who are existing instructors but this is actually a question that came through my f- feed a few weeks back 
Um, so, yeah, and because we did the Pilates police recently, I think to me this is this is kind of a related topic. You know, it's about people feeling like they need to measure up to some standard, you know, um, of how they look and how they perform. Yeah, what are your thoughts? Yeah, look, I'm vehemently opposed to, I think it's nonsensical that you have to be able to do all the things to be able to teach all the things. Uh, I'm, yeah, like, I, it's kind of like where to start with this. And and I agree with you, Raf. It, it does come up. It comes up. Uh, we see it coming up pre people choose, you know, deciding to take the step to become an instructor. So they've fallen in love with Pilates because they've been going to Pilates classes. It's the usual story, isn't it? And it's my it's my narrative. It's my story as well. I fell in love with, with Pilates. Um, and, I, you know, when I first fell in love with Pilates, I fell in love with Pilates because I had a sore back, yada, yada. You know, I had fear of flexion, et cetera, et cetera. And when deciding to do my first um, instructor training, I I did have some, I mean, I wanted to do it because I was so in love with Pilates. Like Pilates made me feel awesome. It was fun. And it's the, all the things it still is for me. It, like I don't, Pilates will always be this for me. It's fun. It's constantly challenging. Like I could go on a rant about why I love Pilates and will always love Pilates until the day I die. Um, and I had an amazing instructor. We know we've talked about Stella Atwood before. We love Stella. Um, I, big props to Stella's. I wouldn't be, I wouldn't have, this career would not be happening for me if it wasn't for, for Stella instilling that love of Pilates in me. Um, but when I went into the course and the reason I did the course with Breathe was because Stella had done her course with Breathe right? And raved about it. And of course I wanted to be like my instructor. She was also my friend. I was like, you know, I've heard so many good things. It looked like the coolest job. It looked like so much fun. I'm like, how would this not be an awesome job? You're, you know, like it just, the whole thing, the whole package was exciting. I do remember. And so this is good for me to reflect on too, because where I'm at in my journey now, it's like, of course it doesn't matter. Right? Like I literally, I, I, you know, when you believe something so much and embody it so much, that you think, oh, is this even a topic anymore? Do you, do you know what I mean? Like I'm a bit with like that with it. So for me, it's good to reflect. And I think this is what doing this episode is helping me do. It's good for me to reflect and step back into those shoes of, you know, Chloe who walked into, I still remember that first day I walked in and looked around the room and I was like, I knew some of the exercises that were coming and I knew I could do them. But there was this like section of the exercises that I was really freaking nervous to do. So this was the mat work and it was the inversions. Yeah, particularly things like, jackknife and corkscrew, oh, corkscrew, terrified me because I still identified as having a sore back, an injury. I was still fearful of flexion. So you can imagine how I thought about going into corkscrew. So those that don't know corkscrew, basically you lay on your back, you take your legs overhead to about 45 degrees, then you swing them down one side of your body and back up the other and back around creating a clock face, right? If, so, if roll over and hip twist had a love child. Yeah, totally. Yeah, love it. Um, so you can imagine... He's me fearful of flexion and I'm like, I'm going to do what? And I, I did have this moment of, 
could I do the course slash could I be an instructor if I couldn't slash wouldn't slash was fearful of those exercises? And I did have that. Amazingly, like obviously I had amazing trainers. Shout out Nick Maz. Um, and who I, just worked me through it. And so from a fear base, I was able to do, uh, you know, I got over the fear of doing the exercises. Could I do those exercises perfectly? Could I execute them each time? Could I? No, not at all. Not at all. And it never crossed my mind then though that I couldn't then teach them. Mm, mm. Yeah, I don't know. And sorry, sorry to take it over, Raph. I was just thinking there's another story, which is true. I must admit that early on in my career, and I'm talking really early on, like maybe the first year of teaching, maybe the second, I didn't teach snake because I didn't feel like I could do snake myself. Guess what I did? I just stayed back in the studio and just practiced and practiced and practiced and then... And then you gave yourself permission to teach it. I gave myself permission to teach it. Since then, I've evolved to the point that, I mean, I was teaching the dismount and I'd never been able to land one yet myself. Like the control balance into Could, arabesque. Control balance, yeah. control balance well, dismount. basically do a backward somersault off the reformer yeah. into, into arabesque. Yeah. Well, the arabesque is more classical. The Joseph Pilates OG move, you literally roll yourself off. It's a tumble and you roll yourself back on on your shoulder. Um, I was teaching that way before I could do it, way before. I have, and here, dear listeners, I'm sure I've given this secret away before though. I've never done a high bridge on the reformer in my life yet. Not for one of trying. I give it a good old grunty go. Uh, but not there yet, and I teach it weekly. So maybe we can break this down. So the the, the very bottom line is, <laughs> you can you can t- teach the thing without having to do the thing. Yeah, I, th- I think you know your story. I think is probably pretty common. Like I I've really lost track of the number of times that students have come up to me on you know when we used to teach face to face on the first day of the course and sort of you know pulled me aside and kind of like you know, in a really kind of embarrassed, yeah. you know, way said to me like, oh, I've got a really weak core or I can't touch my toes or yeah. I can't, you I know. I can't roll up yeah, or I can't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's almost, it's almost like, like, it's like there's some shame. I was going to yeah. say, it's like there's some shame around it, isn't yeah. there? Yeah. It's like, you know, um, it's kind of the like, the mentality that you, you should, if you're a Pilates teacher, you should embody, you know, the ideal of, you know, air fucking quotes, Pilates body, or, you know, it's like um, one of my favourite. What, what's a Pilates body again? <laughs> well, if, you, if you've got a body and you do Pilates. <laughs> um, but one of my favourite um, ever little vignettes of my life that I can remember is um, we used to drop back before, I used to do air travel a lot. We used to drive from Melbourne to Sydney quite a bit and it's about 900 kilometres, 600 miles. So it's like yeah, it's a full day. Decent drive. You know, 12-hour drive, yeah. you know, by the time you stop for lunch or whatever. Yeah. And there's a place about halfway up called Gundagai, which is a little town about halfway in between. And it's just- Dog on a tucker box. Yeah, just in the middle of nowhere. And there's, if you go into town there, there's this little, or there was this little old school, like 1940s, 1950s style Aussie bakery. And, you know, they had like 
uh, you know, and if you're in Australia, you'll know what I'm talking about. Like, and, and if you're a certain age, Ninish tarts and oh, the you Ninish. Know, so rock the Ninish tart isn't the Ninish tart. Is that is the Ninish tart? Is it one color on one side? Yeah, it's like pink and brown, pink and in half and half. Yeah, strawberry and chocolate, yeah, isn't icing, it? Yeah. And what's in the middle? Just jam, I think, or something like that. Yeah. It's like it's like a like two biscuits with jam in between. It's pretty much if you yeah. want the ultimate sugar hit yeah. in one go. Like it's funny you talking about it, Raf. Is bringing back like actual like physical kind of memory yeah. at the moment. I feel like I've just had that sugar hit from that first yeah. mouthful. And and <laughs> for amazing. me, yeah, like I I. I've got real. I really am attracted to that kind of white flour, sugar, icing. You know, for me, I don't know. It's maybe just I grew up with it as a kid or something. I don't know what, but that, that's, I've got a soft spot for it, and yeah. I, I very, very rarely indulge in it. But I particularly have a soft spot for cinnamon donuts. Oh, yeah. And again, like I probably don't have them from one year to the next. But every now and then, I'm like, oh, I could really go with cinnamon like donut. Like a really good yeah. cinnamon donut. And Yum. particularly when they're hot. Yeah. Um, and this place, they made incredible cinnamon donuts and like just piled up in this like luxurious, you know, abundant pile of cinnamon donuts. And it, just in the middle of outback country, it's like it was some ridiculous price, like, you know, $2 for 20 or something. It was just, like, <laughs> <laughs> just like, are you sure you tell me the right price? You know? yeah, we I 20 said, donuts. <laughs> and so I'm like, okay, I'll take them all. You know? And um, and they were the best donuts. And we always, I always used to look forward to stopping in Gundagai at like, the whole that was a highlight of the trip for me to stop at this place and get like just <laughs> the biggest bag of donuts. Yeah, um, and sometimes a niche tart or a rock cake or an apple pie or whatever. But, cake. But, oh my god, you're bringing back all the <laughs> all the vintage memories for me here. Up. <laughs> but the 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 <laughs> woman there who was must have been the baker, I guess she was serving, um, and she was you know quite roly poly, um, generously proportioned, um, and she had this. Uh, apron on that said never trust a skinny chef and I was like damn right you know like <laughs> I want someone in the kitchen who cooking the donuts who loves donuts you know who really understands what it is to love donuts and you know uh, embodies really? <laughs> donutdom you know um, and so you know I don't truly subscribe to that philosophy as I never t- trust a skinny chef but but to me, I don't know, that just really kind of chuffed me somehow. And and I think somewhere, you know, although it's kind of a a bit tongue-in-cheek and whatever, I think you're buried deep in there somewhere there's a grain of truth, right? And I'm not sure exactly what the grain of truth is, but I think, you know, that in Pilates we have that philosophy as well a lot. It's like, well, you should, you know, you should, in a Pilates instructor, you should look for somebody who's got those long, lean muscles and a strong core and super flexible and graceful and great posture and, you know, moves like a cat and all of these things that we associate, you know, most of them erroneously with Pilates. You know, we, we think like, oh, if you look at your Pilates instructor and they don't look like that, you know, it's like, well, they don't, they don't sample the product. You know, they can't, they're not, they're not legit. You know, they're just, they're just kind of like, not they're not yeah they're, they're not credible yeah is that is that the way you kind of see it yeah what a load of bullshit <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck Raph? <laughs> no like i i, I actually yeah, sorry, air quotes <laughs> <laughs> i'm about to walk out right now everyone <laughs> i'm doing a walkout no uh, i i think it's um yeah i think it's just Bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. Um, I think the <sighs> – I remember 
when I moved to Bondi, Bondi Beach. The world famous Bondi Beach. World if you're in Australia, anytime Bondi you're out, outside Australia, anywhere in the world, and you say I'm from Australia, go, oh, Bondi Beach. Bondi Beach. <laughs> well, I, I actually, I lived there. I lived, my bedroom window for a short period of time looked out over Bondi Beach. I was on the same street on Campbell Parade when I was living with my best friend. Um, like I really lived the dream there. Now, I absolutely, apart from my blonde hair, <laughs> I did not look like the typical Bondi client um, who is generally a good few sizes smaller than me, um, a lot more tan than me. Um, uh, I, I trained a lot of models. Uh, I trained a lot of actresses, uh, etc. And I was absolutely a popular instructor. Like I'm, I'm, I'm totally comfortable with saying that my classes were full, were waitlisted, were in demand um, by those clientele who were not looking at me because and coming to me as the instructor because they wanted to look like me, right? They weren't coming to get abs like me. I mean, I haven't seen my six pack since I was thought about the other day. I was probably 15 the last time I had a really defined, like had a low enough body fat percentage to have a really defined six pack. I'm strong. Like I, out of, in my whole body, my abs are freaking strong, right? Um, Sharman and I did a little tease competition the other day just for fun. Um, you know, like mm, the, things Pilates, the things Pilates instructors do. He only got a couple more than me, which I was actually pretty chuffed at. Um, so, you know, I've got, I've got, I'm strong. I've got strong abs. I've got all of that. Yeah. I've got layer of fat over them. Cool. Whatever. Um, so these, inst these, th this is what I'm, what I guess I'm trying to get to Raph is bust the myth a little that people are looking to a Pilates instructor because they can do a certain thing or look a certain way. Actually, no, my clients were coming to me because of how I made them feel. Yeah. Because of how skilled my teaching was, because of uh, my programming, because of my banter, because I genuinely freaking loved them and gave a shit about them. And in fact, most of my clients became really wonderful lifelong friends. It had nothing to do with eye mirroring, like they, they, they're seeing a mirror image when looking it wasn't at me. to do with your thigh gap or... No, like never, never. And you know what? Split. In the whole... The whole interaction so I don't I don't comment on someone else's body I never comment on, and I don't expect anyone else to comment on my body um I that's really I like I think that's really important and no one knows someone else's story they don't know their battle that they might have had with an eating disorder or the battle they might have had with um self-esteem or body image and and people don't know my story either so I think it's really important that we don't comment on each other's bodies um but we comment on showing up we comment on effort we comment on we cheer each other on we you know talk about each other's days lives all of those things right so so that's why my clients came to me and these were your bondi beach Models who are wonderful, amazing people. I'm just saying that there's no way they came to me because I looked like what they wanted to look like. Because it's just it's just totally different. 
I'm going to um, uh, sort of e- echo what you said about, like, I think in a broader context, I think that's true. So you're saying, like, okay, models don't require you to look like a model. But I, th- I would say that regular folks also don't require you to look like a model and that uh, I reckon many regular folk who come along to Pilates, like, struggle with their own sort of self-efficacy around, you know, body image, around, uh, you know, physical strength and flexibility and all of that stuff. Um, And and I think this is embodied by the story that I heard once of a woman who, uh, this was, I won't say the name of the studio, but, um, you know, she, she, I heard this from one of the managers at the studio um, that this woman, he, he went in and did a, like a mystery shop at this studio with a trainer that he didn't know the trainer, the trainer didn't know him. And um, so he was sitting there, in, you know, waiting for this beginner's class um, and just happened to be sitting alongside this other woman who was waiting there and got chatting and turned out that she'd been, you know, she'd had a baby a couple of years back and had been unable to shed the weight and had felt really bad about herself physically and and had kind of gotten into a bit of a depression and had taken like three months to screw herself up the courage to show up, you know, as she felt like in the spotlight in public, you know, looking daggy and feeling daggy and with a bit of baby spew on her shoulder and and all of that stuff. And, you know, jiggly bits that she was very ashamed of and, and whatnot. And, and, but this was like a major kind of triumph for her to actually just show up, you know, in this beginner's class. And then during that beginner's class, um, you know, she wasn't sort of affirmed or validated or even really paid much attention to. Uh, and there was just kind of like a show-off instructor up the front, you know, doing all their perfect splits and ab curls and with a flat tummy and all of that stuff. And, and you know, this woman basically just, you know, my friend just basically said to this woman, you could see her visibly shrinking within herself, you know, every time the instructor would kind of flamboyantly demonstrate a perfect move, you know, and the woman like just couldn't do it and obviously not feeling good about it. And, um, and he followed up, um, just by looking, checking the, the, the attendance records and she never came back, you know? So that was like three months of screwing herself up to show up and then like, yeah, just back to like, yeah, that was a mistake. Never, never come back again. So I think, um, you know, and, and moreover, we have research evidence to, that kind of illustrates this, that people I think are more inspired by pe- by people who look similar to themselves but are just a little bit like further along the road of where they want to be right so if you're if you're that woman you're probably more inspired by an instructor who one gives a shit and you know warmly welcomes you and affirms you and says like you're so awesome for being here and I know this is probably you know hard for some of you to show up tonight and freaking awesome job to be here and look at you working so hard that's great you got to do great here you're really going to have success right so just affirming them and, and all of that stuff that we've i think we've talked about before but but then like by an instructor who as well as giving a shit just looks like a regular person you know but just a bit fitter healthier you know version of a regular person i just yeah look and if there's evidence on that, there's evidence. So, you know, I shouldn't bring in my anecdotal over the top. But in my experience, which is totally anecdotal, I, I just don't know that I agree. Because as I said, I, and all I can talk about is my experience, but 
my clients, I think about my Sunday reformer crew, my clients are doing head front and head back. And guys, that means they're like, it's the original JP moves, basically, if we're talking head front, your head is on the headrest, your feet are on the foot bar, right? So you're, yeah. And they're doing it with hands off, hands behind their back, pushing the carriage out and in. I couldn't do that to save my life. I still can't get my head far down enough onto the headrest. Head back. You're actually, <laughs> you're facing up now. Your head is on the headrest, feet are on the foot bar. I can absolutely do head back when I have my hands on the shoulder pads. My clients have their hands off the shoulder pads. So I absolutely am not, I am not more proficient in being able to execute the exercises. Nope. I can teach the exercises proficiently. I understand the setup clearly. I understand the cueing clearly. Yeah. Um, but there's no way they're looking at me. Like I just say, I li- <laughs> actually, I can bring up my, my Matt Masterclass last week. I wanted to keep, we we're doing some really fun. It was a dynamic um, mat class. Like literally the students were like, we just want to sweat tonight. I'm like, I can bring it. We're, we're all going to get wet hair. Let's go. And so we were doing lots of, you know, the old Pilates burpee where basically you roll, jump up, roll, jump up, those sorts of things. And then we uh, progressed it into a single leg version where basically you're rolling back and you, it's so ultimately it could come into a pistol squat and you might be out. And it's so funny at one point because I can't get up from there with the one foot. And <laughs> I looked to the screen and people were like sitting there waiting for this demo. And I just turned to the screen and I said, you're waiting for a demo of me doing this. You ain't going to get it, you guys. And they just cracked up. I said, this is about exploring your potential. I've explored mine. Come on, let's go. <laughs> so like, like own it. So it's not about me going, oh, my God, I can't do the pistol squat version of the rolling because I know there's no way in freaking hell I can get up without my hands or even with my hands in a pistol squat. I just don't have the rom there at the moment. I'm strong, but I just said I've got some, you know me, I'm, a, I'm the human walking plank. <laughs> I've got some rom stuff and that's fine. Um, but I just own it. And if I want to do it, guess what, and get good at it, well, I've just got to freaking practice, practice, practice. But why should I, why should I uh, stop my clients from being able to experience something like that and that progression just because I can't do it? See how that then, if I'm going to self-limit myself, I don't only self-limit myself, guess what? I limit my client's potential as well. And I think that's really important. And perhaps that's what's been my driving force to, because, you know, I think about my Sunday reformer crew, they're freaking like their their level of, of like, it's like, how can I charge them? Like, how can I challenge them next? Do I need to get them levitating? Like we're kind of to that point where they're the levitating emoji. So if I'm only going to teach them what I can do, am I their teacher anymore? Like, no, they'll need to look for someone who, who will continue to advance them? So I'd, I don't I'd, know. Like, to, I'd like to transition into a, uh, thinking about this slightly differently in terms of, all right, so the idea, you know, we've moved a little bit sideways and started talking about kind of, you know, body image, which I think is relevant. And, but we've, you know, the, the real thing is like, okay, what makes a great teacher? 
right? And so if you want to be a great teacher, like, okay, what are, you know, I mean, actually we know a lot, you know, science knows a lot about what the skills, attributes and behaviours and attitudes of a great teacher are, right? And uh, I know this is one of your favourite topics, so I'd like to uh, ask you, like, you know, what is a great teacher? It comes back to me talking about the the. <laughs> I know you've made fun of me saying this concept before. The pushing it out there. So a great teacher makes it about the human beings in front of them, not them. For me, that's the ultimate goal. It is about the experience of the humans in front of me. I need to take my ego out of it. It's about how can I facilitate an empowering experience for those in front of me that allows them to explore their potential? And then, you know, the, the elements that come into that, well, there's there's a heap of elements in there, isn't there? I need to know how to um, effectively uh, enhance motor learning. So I'm going to be putting in there things like early success, collaboration, external cueing, yeah? And if you're thinking, oh, I haven't heard those words, go back to our cueing uh, uh, elephants episode. So I need to be doing that. I, I highly uh, believe that that facilitating motor learning using those strategies is part of being a great teacher. Um, to me, that like that's the the main things. Um, just being there for the for the like it's just about the people in front of me. Yeah. It's, I think that's you've totally nailed it. It's yeah, about like, it's like teaching is a facilitation job, right? So you, your output is the learning. You know, it's something that other people do, right? So you can't. It's not something that you do, right? If you if if you're a, I don't know if your job is to stack boxes, like we can look at and see how many boxes is stacked, and that's work that you do. But actually, as a teacher, you're more like a conductor in an orchestra where you don't play an instrument, but your 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 job is to to draw out the best performance out of those other people, right? And so their performance is the evidence of your skillfulness. You know, it's not it's not what you do that's important. It's it's what you enable them to do, mm. and so it's about them. You know, mm. that's the fundamental mindset shift mm. that it's not fucking about you. Mm. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. not about you. And, and really and truly believing in your clients wherever they at whatever point they come to you at, whether they're the beginner that you know is has never once set foot in a Pilates studio, or whether they're the the person that's been doing Pilates for the last 10 years, you can facilitate an amazing experience that helps progress that client at any stage that they're at. Uh, But you've got to, yeah, you've got to take your own self-doubt away or, you know, I, I I say to my students, I can tell when they're, when they're doing their practice teaching, I can tell when they've made it all about them or about the clients in front. And what what do you see? The, when it's about them, they're 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 apologising for mistakes they've made. I'm like, they don't know what your your program is. They don't know. Don't apologise for it. We, they don't know. Like they're apologising. You know, they've forgotten something, or they're reading off a piece of paper, or they're apologising for something about themselves. Like it's like this whole, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, oh, I'm sorry, oh, I'm not ready, oh, I forgot, oh, no, oh, mm, uh, uh. or 
they're there and they're like, yeah, freaking awesome. You can get a bit lower in that push-up. I know you can. Woo, go, Belle. That's so good. Like, you know, they're individually, in, like they're engaging with the individuals in front of them. They're reading their room. They're challenging individually. Otherwise they're, known as being present with the humans. Correct. Who, who with because you can't be present and you absolutely cannot read your room if you are so wrapped up in yourself because yeah. all you're yeah. doing is you're just up, it's just a total head fuck and you're yeah. like, you know, self-doubt, self-doubt, self-doubt. Oh, my God, I'm not good enough. Oh, my God, I've made a mistake. Oh, my God, I've stuffed up. If you, you know, yeah, so. Yeah. So I think the 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 solution, if you're, if you're out there and you're somebody who's worried that you can't do a particular move at all or well enough to teach it in your mind is like, there's, there's no like strategy where you sort of work on that and, you know, overcome that. It's like, no, just let it go. Like, f- don't focus on that. That's not what you should be thinking about. That's irrelevant. Focus on your clients. Correct. Make it about the clients. Who, who gives a shit what you can do and can't do? It's irrelevant. And um, a little teaching tip as well, uh, which I found very helpful as someone who um, physically hasn't been able to do to date, you know, a handful of exercises in the repertoire for sure. Um, what I found was is a really helpful teaching tip and this can be done uh, in a face-to-face setting and also online. You're always, always, always going to have the cl- a client that you know that you know is capable of doing the full thing and you know they can nail it even if it's just a ver- like just verbal cues online. You can you know there's someone that's going to be able to do it. So that is my teaching tip. I always utilise as a demo if I can't do the thing and and I highlight someone else to do the thing. And what I do is as they do the thing, I get them to do it on my cues and I teach them through it. Everyone stops and watches and then they have a go themselves. So they're still getting a demo. So if you're worried, you know, and, and to be fair, some of those exercises people do like to see a demo first off. Um, so utilize a client and that's a great way to make that client feel really special as well. I've never, ever to date in near on nine years had a client say, oh no, I don't, I don't want to do the demo for everyone. They're like, let's go. Chloe, you're awesome at this one. Do you mind showing everyone how it's done? Yeah. Is that that kind of what you do? Yeah, Yeah. that's exactly. I'd love to. And then I cue them through it. So they, so this clients are still getting to see the cues with the movement, um, yeah, it's really effective. And that's also a great tip too because if you're in a physical space, it, you might not have a reformer that you can jump on to to demo on. And, you know, do you want to kick a client off it to jump on and you do your demo? Ultimately, probably don't. Like you might have to now and then, and I'm not saying I've never kicked a, a client off to do a quick demo. If something's really not landing, you know, you're having one of those days, you're like, I've tried every different cue. I don't know. Okay, jump off. I'm just going to jump on quickly. Is that all right? Um, but ultimately, you'd prefer not to. So it's a great thing to, to have up your teaching sleeve. Um, and you just say, hey, everyone, look over here at RAF. And actually, um, the research supports that, that um, when um, – people are learning by watching someone demonstrating something they actually learn more effective more effectively when the person that they're watching demonstrate is not perfect right um and so the reason for that is when like if if i said to you okay i'm going to we're going to learn how to do a handstand well here's someone in Cirque du Soleil 
right? Just And they just go straight into a perfect handstand, right? And they stay there for 10 minutes without moving a muscle, perfectly still, balancing a glass of champagne on their pointed toes, right? And then they come out of it without spilling the glass of champagne. And I'm like, okay, great, now you do it. And you're like, well, that doesn't really help me out a lot. But if, if you watch me cue someone who's like, sort of okay at handstands through it and go and and then they make a few mistakes along the way and error correct Mm. and you see them get it Mm. that actually helps you learn much more effectively Mm. and is and is for most people much more motivational because when you look at the Cirque du Soleil person do it perfectly you just most people think like well Mm. I'm never going to freaking be able to do that you know Mm. (laughs) like there's like a hundred thousand hours of practice to get that good I'm just not going to do it so but when you look at someone who's like yeah not bad. Someone that's but, in the same class as you. Right. But, yeah. But like you, can relate you, to. you think like, oh yeah, with a bit of practice, I could do that. Yeah. Right. And so it's much more motivational and improves people's self-efficacy much more when they, the person who's the demonstrator is more similar to them, like less athletic as opposed to someone who's like totally perfect at the moves. Yeah. 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 Um, it was funny. <laughs> I got sent, um, oh, it was like a, it was a teaching tip by um, an instructor on Instagram, um, quite well-known instructor. But basically it was a how do you know when you're like, – so the topic was how do you know when your client is ready to do tendon stretch? Don't jump in, Raph. Don't, please. You'll re- Just, Raph, don't. Oh, okay. guys, I'm looking I'm at not- his face. He's like, oh, God. I'm like, just wait. Okay. So uh, – I'll bite my tongue. Thank you. Um <laughs> And, and how do you know when your client's ready to do tendon stretch? I don't and know, then, Chloe. How do you know? Well, there was this, you know, well, so there's this, and it's funny because this person, my understanding of this person is that they teach the OG order, but I don't think that this actual, you know, my understanding of stomach massage, the so stomach massage in the order comes before tendon stretch, okay? Absolutely, stomach massage, you're seeing that, that similar C-curve, et cetera, et cetera. There's actually a cool single leg version of stomach massage as well that we've got images of Joseph teaching. So we know, yeah, JP taught it. I'm not so sure that Joseph taught all the other iterations of stomach massage with arms lifted, um, reach and twist, et cetera. That seemed to come with the more classical era. And then following the la, 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 you do this stretch where your hands come to the bar, right? Um, And I'm sure I can't do this stretch from a from a mobility point of view, your hands on the bar. But this person's reasoning was if they can do that stretch, if they can do that stretch, then they are ready to progress to tendon stretch. Now, the person that sent me this said, hmm, I just want to say that, hmm, no, actually they just give tendon stretch a crack and then they practice it and get better at it. That's when you know you're ready to do tendon stretch. Like it's these nonsensical bullshit rules um obstacles obstacles right where it's like give a crack you can give a crack to any of the exercises sure there might you know when we're thinking about facilitating move uh facilitating motor learning for a beginner and we want to think of early success do we do tendon stretch with them on their first pilates class ever on a reformer probably not that we want to you know facilitate an experience where they're getting used to all the moving parts and this and that right cool that would be my reasoning to not give someone tendon Agreed. stretch yet, yeah. but not because they can't do a stretch on the reformer. 
I was just like, it's it's these kind of silly things yeah. that I think are what then breeds into the self-doubt of instructors or new instructors and it's that same fear of I'm too nervous to put myself out on Instagram doing an exercise because I'm not going to look perfect or et cetera, et cetera, and I'm going to get shamed or I'm going to be told I shouldn't be doing that. That's the bullshit that needs to Yeah, it's paradoxical because end. in order to stop that shaming and, and, and normalise like normal people doing these exercises in a normal way with normal range of motion or whatever, it's like we've got to put ourselves out there doing it normally, mm. you know. So it's like the, the chicken and the egg sort of thing, but it's like, okay, it, it's, it's kind of shameful to do that because there are people that might have a go at you, but the only way to overcome that is for the majority of people to start doing it. I told you, know? you how nervous I was when I, when I finally, when my my um, Instagram content went from it being snippets of my client's doing amazing things to actually, you know, I'd moved into more of the realm of being a teacher trainer. So all of a sudden actually no content that I had was not of my clients. Content that I had was of me teaching, teaching. And, and I, I remember the first time I put up a snippet of me teaching from one of our courses, I was so like, so freaking, I almost deleted it just because I was like, what's the reception going to be like? You know, I hadn't put it out there before. It had all been behind closed doors before that. Well, what, what if, you know, I didn't need to be nervous, of course, you know, like, and, and then even if some people didn't like my way of teaching, well, so what? How's, you know, if we're constantly trying to please everyone, we're going to run ourselves ragged. Who was, who was that that said, or, you know, it doesn't matter who it was, but some very wise person said, like, why are we trying to please people that we don't need? We wouldn't take advice from them, you know, like, like we don't care what, like, Isn't why do we I care? I told you about the meme, the, the, the writing on the wall that basically said, yeah, I told you this one. Why, why am I trying to get everyone to like me? I don't even like everyone. Yeah, yeah. That's the basic sentiment. <laughs> It's like, why do you give a shit about these people? Yeah, it's <laughs> funny, isn't it? Yeah. So, so I think um, the bottom line is you can absolutely be an amazing instructor, an amazing teacher, and you know, amazing facilitator of uh, giving an empowering experience to the human beings in front of you, and you yourself not being able to do all the moves or do the full expression of the movement or whatever. I've, I've just got a few questions I'd like to finish off with. They're not really questions for you. They're kind of rhetorical questions. Okay. But So if it were the case that you needed to be perfect at all the moves to be a great teacher, what about the situation where, say, Ramana was in her 70s, couldn't do most of the moves because she you know, put on weight, lost mobility, didn't work out, I don't know what, but I watch her walking around in those videos and she doesn't ever do the moves. Does that make her a bad teacher at that point in her career? Absolutely not. And I saw um, incredible footage. I'm funny thinking thinking of the elders. Um, um, Jay Grimes. Uh, and I look. I love Jay Grimes. I, I really do. He's so like <laughs> snappy with his teaching and just you know takes no prisoners. Um, minimal cueing. Uh, some really awesome OG moves. Like uh, I've I've really really enjoy Jay Grimes teaching and what I've seen of it. Um, 
and yeah, I saw he was doing, he did a big, um, I don't know, a workshop, I guess, uh, the other day because I saw it came up up on their Instagram and he was literally sat on it and, and Jay's not like, you know, the elders. Are, now. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, they're old now. And he was sat on his chair in front, like it was online, so he was sat on his chair up, up in front of the screen and he was there and he was making those clients work freaking hard. And he's, yeah, yeah. so. Does that make him a bad teacher if he can't do the splits today? Like, absolutely. <laughs> and you know it's funny actually? Who was it that said Heath? Heath sent me – Heath reckons Joseph couldn't actually do it. Heath reckons there's a few moves that JP couldn't do himself because there's um, there's this series of images where it's actually not Joseph. It's someone else. And I remember Heath going, yes, I knew it. I knew he'd <laughs> Heath's one of the only people I know who I think can do all the moves. Yeah, and Shaman. It's that, Shaman. It's that um, – I think it's that um, – Oh, and I think Rach. Rach has got that dancer mobility. It's that unique kind of um, balance of of strength and yeah, range strength, of movement yeah. uh, that that they have mm, that's mm. really impressive. But they work really hard at it. Mm. I mean, Heath works really hard to keep that. Mm. All right, still got a couple more questions. Okay. So um, if just say you're really good at riding a bike, like just say you're a competitive Olympic cyclist or just say you're like a champion mountain bike racer does that make you the best person to teach a young kid how to ride a bike potentially not because you might be a shit house teacher <laughs> correct well like even if you're just a regular person who can ride a bike without falling off does that mean you're a good teacher no. of riding a bike no no it's got nothing to do with it no exactly all right what about someone who's really good at writing you're pretty good right you can write your name can't you you know yeah yeah so can you Explain to me how to write. No. But you can do it. Surely that means you can teach it. (laughs) We get it, Raph. That's good. Yeah. So it's just, it's like doing the thing and teaching the thing are just not the same skill. They're not the same skill. They're not the same skill. You can be skilled at one, but not the other. You can be skilled at both or you can be skilled at neither. And it's just like, they're not the same skill it doesn't yeah one doesn't equate to the other yeah it's just not the same skill mm. and 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 teaching you know being a great teacher is a skill mm. you know and it's and it's not the same skill as being a great doer although it just because you're a great doer doesn't mean you can't be a great teacher correct but it's just it's just they just there's not a lot of overlap right I love like it. the greatest coaches of all time were not the greatest players of all time. Mm. You know, in any, think of any sport, right? Often the greatest coaches were like they were mediocre players, mm. you know, but they're amazing coaches, mm. you know. So it's like, yeah, and and the best players aren't always the best coaches, mm. you know. So it's like, yeah, it's, mm. let's get over it. No, you don't have to be able to do all the freaking moves. Who cares? Mm. Fuck it. Yay. Yeah. Just just go out there and enjoy what you like, enjoy the process of teaching, like enjoy empowering your clients. That's that's the good stuff. Like that's the payoff. Let the other head fuckery just go because all it's gonna do is choke you from getting to follow your passion. Like what a waste. 
What a waste. That's not all it's going to do. It's also going to put obstacles in your client's way if you don't give them permission to learn an exercise simply because you can't do it. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's really, and it's funny because I hadn't reflected on it in that sense until today and and talking through it like that. That was a really good point you made. And I'm like, yeah, you're actually impact by you being in your head about that, you are impacting your client's progress. Yeah. And that's not cool. Yeah. Yeah. Good talk, Chloe. Thanks, Rob. See ya. After two exercise science degrees and over a decade and a half of reading research daily, I've condensed all the current science on rehab into a program called the Clinical Exercise Specialist Rehabilitation. Inside the program, I'll teach you to do three things. One, deeply understand how the body works. Two, confidently and expertly rehab literally any client. And three, get results for your clients. So ultimately, your clients tell their friends and you become known as the go-to expert in your area. This program is completely unlike any education you've done before, even if you've studied with us before, because of the way we've built the learning design. It's an online, flexible, skill-based learning program, which means You keep doing the skills under supervision until you're good at them. It's more of a mentorship model than a traditional course model. So rather than rushing through the content and having sort of one go at everything, you actually just practice live and we give you feedback and guidance and we dialogue and explore concepts together until you're highly skilled and confident. We just keep working the material until you get it. It's not rushed at all. It's not about ticking off the content. It's about engaging, practicing and applying it until you own it. This is a life-changing program, not some weekend certification. I've put my heart and soul into building this, and I can't wait to share it with you and help you discover your genius for anatomy and rehab. Now, because of the highly interactive nature of this program, we're only taking on 12 students worldwide. The program starts on March the 1st, and the first 12 qualified people to apply will be allowed to enroll. So if you're interested in learning more, click the link in the show notes and download the course guide or go to breathe-education.com and click on the clinical certification menu in our link in the top menu. That's breathe-education.com and click on the clinical certification link in the top menu.